0: beginning with the 11th verse. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, Sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is His body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God, With a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. reading from the 13th chapter of the Gospel according to Mark, beginning with the first verse. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked Him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you, Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Word of God for us, the people of God. Amen. Thanks be to God. Right this second, I feel like there's a chance my throat and my voice might give out in the middle of this sermon. It's about 42 minutes long, so just bear with me, okay? <laughs> y'all laughing? Y'all, y'all don't believe me? <laughs> Have you ever heard somebody say there's a fine line between a long sermon and a, and a hostage situation? You ever heard that before? Your sermon title today is, I'm glad that's over. In some ways, because I was glad that my thinking about a sermon title was over, but also because, as I thought about this text from the book of Hebrews, I realized that there's something buried in it that we should all be glad it's over with. Over with. Have you ever been glad something was over? You might be glad this sermon's over in about 20 minutes. <laughs> You never know, but have you ever been glad that something you were going through was over when you got to the end of it and you were able to take a deep exhale and feel the peace of hope come back? Oh, sweet Lord, I've waited for people on the other side of operating room doors and hoped and hoped and hoped. And when the doctor came out smiling, you feel the weight lift. I stood beside the bed of people who were dying and were miserable. And when they breathed their last, I felt that weight lift. There are times when we are glad that something we are going through is over. Sometimes those are things that we get caught up in that we don't realize in the front that they're going to become dangerous for us and become what human beings in the Bible call sin. You ever heard that word? Funny little word. In the Greek, it means miss the mark. It's an archery term. But in its whole in the Bible, it's so much more than that. It's actually a power that seeks to divide us from God. It's sin that divided us from our Creator in the beginning. It's sin that caused us... To lose our way, at sin that would hold us fettered and tied down. It lays traps for us. And then sometimes we lay those traps ourselves. And the hard part of sin isn't just when we're caught up of it, in it in the midst of it. Sometimes the hard part comes years later. When every time we feel at peace, the devil whispers in our ear and reminds us of what we've done. And we might wonder, when will it be over? When will my conscience be clean? When will I be given new life? I went on a trip one time with a fellow named Chuck. We went pheasant hunting in South Dakota. And we walked for what seemed like an eternity. And at night when we went back to the hotel room and I would lay down, I'd be out like a light. And Chuck asked me, he said, Dave, why do you go to sleep so quick? And I told him a clean conscience. But that wasn't really true. It was because they walked us so hard. But do you not have the experience that I have sometimes when you lay your head down at night and you think about someone you've wronged, someone who wronged you? Your thoughts turn to some way that you've fallen short, some way that you failed to serve the glory of God, or even you realize that your whole day was spent in selfish pursuits. Do you sometimes wish that those pricking moments in your conscience could be over? I think about it like being wired to something. Someone's taken a big piece of bailing wire, tied it to my ankle, and tied it to something that I just can't seem to shake. And I wonder, when will it be over? At what point will I be done with dealing with that? I read an article one time. can't remember where it was or who wrote it, but I remember the gist of it. It was a psychoanalyst who was writing the article, and the article was written kind of about guilt in a way. And the question was asked, Why do we beat ourselves up about our past failings? And the person's position was good. They they basically entered into the question the same way we might by reminding ourselves that there's no such thing as the past. That all we have is right now. There's no such thing as tomorrow. The only reality is this very moment here. Right now. The only breath you're promised is the one that's in your lungs right now. And this author said that the reason that we can't let go of things that are in the past is because we feel like we have to beat ourselves up for things that we've done. He said the reason that we won't let go of things is because we're busy creating pain for ourselves because we're angry with ourselves for having created pain for ourselves. Do you hear that? That's like beating yourself with a stick because you got a stick in your hand. (laughs) The ancient Hebrews knew about that. They had a thing called the law. 613 commandments some of them encountered and said you must keep each one of these To be accepted by God. But that wasn't really what God wanted. It wasn't really what they all taught. It was just what a few of them taught. At its best, they understood that keeping the law was a way of honoring the God who created them. Who called them out of nothingness to be a people. Who called them out of slavery to Egypt. But it also became a bitter reminder that they couldn't keep it. In the book of Leviticus, there's all sorts of prescriptions for what to do if you sin, and most of it involves taking some sort of animal to the chief priest or the priest at the temple or in your high, local high place who would take that animal and sacrifice it. And in regard to the priests at the temple, not the priests in the village, they would sprinkle an altar inside the temple with that blood and make atonement for your sins. And so there was a constant knowing that for you to be forgiven, something had to die. there was a constant blood flow at the temple, I think. And the priests burned the fat from the offerings. And some of it they burned the meat. And some of it they ate the fat. But there was a constant smoke rising from the temple that I think constantly reminded them of their sin. And I wonder if they ever thought, when will this be over? And so the writer of Hebrews tells us that day after day after day, Day after day, he said. Day after day, the priests stand to do their work. And if I could find my glasses, I'd read it to you. There they are. <laughs> mm mm Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Standing between God and the people. And the reminder of sin was constant. But then he says, another priest, another priest did something different. This priest, he said, when he had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, sat down at the right hand of God. Have any of you had the experience of finishing a hard day's work and sitting down? What does that normally mean? Does it mean you're planning on getting back up and doing something else in a minute or does it mean that you're finished? It means you're done, right? And you're glad that's over. There's a remarkable moment in the Gospel according to John where Jesus meets His final end and the weakness that He submitted Himself to. And we're told the sky grew dark and there was all kinds of stuff going on And in this weird moment, Jesus said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and he gave up his breath, his spirit. It is finished, he said. That's what this writer is talking about. And that's what he would hold up to us as the event that has the power to cleanse our consciences. Because that, he says, the offerings that were presented every day at the temple couldn't do. Because there would be another one the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. And And they weren't just about individual sin. They were about the sin of the whole church. Because when one person in the church is suffering, the whole church suffers. Because we are one. We are the body of Christ And when one of us is trapped and hurt by sin, we are all trapped and hurt by sin. And we suffer together in the midst of it. And He would call us and say to us, encourage one another, because Jesus said it is finished. And we can now say, I'm glad that's over. I'm glad that I don't have to go every day and take a." turtle dove to the temple and have David sacrifice it for me. I'm glad that I don't have to spend every day worrying about my sins. I'm glad that I don't have to spend every day worrying about how I will make sure that my relationship with God is holy and pure. I don't have to worry every day about my mistakes. I don't have to worry every day about the ways I've failed God and failed others. I can turn One who can make it all right. I don't have to go to a priest who is powerless to cleanse my conscience. I can come to the high priest who knows what it is to be like me. And who because He, the Son of God who shed His blood, that blood can cleanse my conscience. Not just my sin. It's one thing. It's one thing to believe that you are forgiven. That your sins aren't remembered by God. And that's a good thing. But dear ones, what the writer of Hebrews wants us to know is we don't have to carry the burdens of our sin around like some kind of shameful sign or some heavy weight attached to our ankle. So the hymn writer told us that we can take our burden and leave it there, referring to the foot of the cross. And our writer today says to us that this sacrifice not only forgives, but heals our consciences. What in the world are we to do in the light of that? I read a quote one time by a guy named William Ward. He said this, Flatter me, and I may not believe you. Criticize me, and I may not like you. Ignore me, and I may not forgive you. Encourage me, And I will never forget you. This writer tells us not to give up meeting together because we have together a story to tell of how Christ came to put to death once and for all sin in the world and to make one sacrifice that can not only forgive us but heal our consciences and create a relationship between us and God that doesn't involve shame so that we can come before the throne of grace and receive what we need, so we can come with a good conscience, with our hearts clean, with our thoughts clean, with our spirit justified, and with the hope of Christ, knowing that we belong to Him, that He has opened the curtain that separated us from God. And so he says to us, encourage one another. Be glad that it's over. Be glad that it's over. Whatever sin haunts you when you're by yourself, with no one around to distract you, Whatever it is that the devil whispers in your ear to remind you of how pitiful you are, be encouraged and claim the blood of Christ and encourage one another. He says something that preachers have used at times to guilt people into showing up at church. I hate the thought of doing that. What does he say? Don't give up meeting together. Because it's how we remind ourselves that it's over, that it's finished. That the work is done, that Christ has sat down, and all we need do is repent and turn to Him in faith and believe that the offering that He has made for us is sufficient. And that we can add nothing else to it. No amount of beating ourselves up for our failures will atone for our failures. Jesus has atoned for our failures already. So we're called to come to His throne and worship and sit before Him in peace because the work is done. And I don't know about you, church, but I'm glad it's over. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.